I'm going with the emergency pre-show topic. Initiating emergency pre-show topic sequence. Ladies and gentlemen, Microsoft is delighted to announce Windows Server 2019 is going into full preview mode, and one of its headlining features is more Linux. What? Yeah, the improved and ready-to-go Windows subsystem for Linux will be moved up to the server series, and they're introducing a new type of virtual machine designed specifically to run Linux instances. They'll also be shipping it with OpenSSH, curl, tar, and other common Unix and Linux commands, all pre-built into the shiny new Windows Server 2019. Wow. There you go, Wes. I don't know how I feel about so, that. So, I mean, how long do you have to wait before you can spin one of these bad boys up, Chris? We'll just go grab the latest Ubuntu ISO and get started now, Wes. Oh! Hmm. Well, with this uh, stuff going up to the enter to the server version of Linux, this uh, peg begs the question that uh, Alan Jude might ask: When will the BSD subsystem come out? Oh, <laughs> uh, you think that's what he would say? Welcome to BSD Unplugged, your weekly BSD talk show that's too busy getting actual work done to care about what your silly display server. My name is Alan. I can hear delight in his voice I when sure he says can, that. Yeah, I can hear it. <sighs> He's totally not getting away with anything. Uh, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's get started. Let's do the show. We may have a few more trickle in. Hello, Eric. Good to see you. Uh, we may have a few more folks trickle in here. Uh, yeah. All right. Windows Server coming at you. Welcome to the Windows Server Action Hour. <laughs> all right, Wes. Buckle up. Ooh, I'm already buckled. Oh, I'll double buckle. You're so safe. You know, no. we really are safe. Well, if it, everything else is unplugged, I figured I need some sort of restraint here. Would <laughs> you have eyes on the dog? Is he uh, going to be a problem? Is he good? Is he looking at you or is he laying down? Well, now he's looking at me. Yeah, that's the thing. As soon as you pay him attention, he's good until you acknowledge his existence. I got to learn that better. All right, here, here we go. Prepare for dog jumpage. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 241. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly Linux talk show that's now recording in four individual stereo tracks. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. Boy, do we have a heck of a show coming up today. So not only do I have a couple of select moments from scale, I went down and got 170 individual clips, and I'm playing one interview that is choice hand selected handcrafted my favorite moment from my trip to scale it's my first episode back but before we get there we have a huge batch of community news uh, open source projects that are coming back big desktop releases some plumbing that's getting some major updates and a cool trick to make firefax firefax Firefox. Do you have Firefox? Yeah, sure. That's all. It's an yeah. all my facts. It's the fact-checking service that fire that checks Firefox facts. I don't. Everything is ruined. I don't know. Uh, actually, no. It's a trick to get more performance out of Firefox. That's all. I'm sorry. It's nothing more than that. Also, a pretty well-known company is open sourcing all of the things. They just announced it today, and they're rolling it out. A handy firewall utility for the Linux desktop. A better way to stream Spotify on Linux. And then we'll wrap it all up with a couple of choice choice app picks. That's solid, right? I wow, mean, I'm excited. That's a lot of show. Stop wasting our time. Let's get to Let's it, Chris. Get to but it. there's there, a couple of things. You're right. First of all, we got to say time-appropriate greetings to that mumble room. Hello, mumble. 
What's Hello. up? Hello. Hello. It's good to it's good to be with you guys. I missed you last week. So thank you for uh thank you for hanging out with Noah and Wes while they did the show. And thank you to Noah for hosting. No kidding. And of course, Ask Noah is coming up in just a little oh. bit. But did you see this story that we're gonna start with this week? I mean, it just had to start with this story. LG has announced that they're reopen sourcing WebOS. You, you let's go let's go back in time a little bit. You remember this? HP acquired Palm in 2010. And then there was this whole WebOS on the touchpad thing that was short-lived. And then around 2012 is when HP announced that they would publish the WebOS source code as Open WebOS. WebOS was then acquired a little bit later on by LG Electronics, where they've actually been using it for a few, few for at least a few years now on smartphone TVs, IoT devices, and other LG devices. Like I, I actually saw it. Uh, I think on like a uh, like a CES fridge. Um, and LG has announced that they're going to work in cooperation with South Korean's government agency that's that's involved with um, technology to make WebOS a sustainable open platform that is available for an open connectivity architecture. They're looking to commercialize it as an open source platform. This is part of LG's announcement this morning. And it's up. It's up on GitHub. And uh, I think it's sort of a semi-quasi-Android competitor. It's part of this play to just have a company offering a solution that isn't U.S.-based, that isn't Google. Right. That seems like the main thing. Otherwise, it's it's all very still very veiled and enterprisey. You know, it, it doesn't seem really like it's good that they're open source. That that part is great, but it doesn't feel like it's really you know. There's not a great README. There's a whole bunch of components. Really, it's not something we would use. But maybe you're right. Like there'll be some vendors that think okay. Yeah, it just won't die. It just won't go. And great. You know what? Mm-hmm. God bless it. I think that's wonderful. Good on them. Can't just, kill Linux. You just keep going. And, you know, we all have said, I mean, it's cliche to say, ah, oh, WebOS was one of the good ones. But <laughs> it's maybe this bears that out because it just simply won't go away. Uh, and I, I tried to get one of those touchpads. I tried to do this whole thing. It was a total waste of money. But uh, I have heard that their implementation on LG TVs is one of the better smart TV OSs out there. It is interesting going and looking through here, like Pulse Audio integrations, Wayland extensions for WebOS. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? <laughs> WebOS won't die, Wes. It just won't die. Um, GNOME 3.28, also another big news item this week, incorporating 25,000 changes. Don't know how many of those are translations, but a lot of changes. And 838 contributions from our individual contributors make up the 3.28 release. And it's got a couple of features that I'm a huge fan of. First feature, it, it seems simple, but if you think about it, it's actually going to make working day-to-day really fast. The version of files in GNOME 3.28 now has a starred feature where you can star files. And then on the left-hand places area, you go to starred, and it's just the files that you've starred. Now, this is great because they've taken away desktop icons, so it sort of comes at just the right time where you still have a kind of a workflow for quick access to files. And then when you're done with them, you just pop that star off. Um, but that's not the big feature. The one that I really like to see, and I can't wait to see where they're going to go next, is boxes, the VM front end that is one of my favorites on Linux, now has the ability, using the new Box Assistant, to download ISOs that you want right off the web. So you want to try out Tumbleweed to try out GNOME 328? You just click the thing, it'll pull it down right there. Wow, that's yeah. slick. Yeah, Debian testing's in there, NetBSD's in there. It's awesome. Kind of makes it, changes the the feel of it from a uh, somewhat of a, you know, not quite power tool, but helper tool when yeah. you already understand how the virtualization works to something a little more user-friendly. Totally. 
Totally. So uh, that's the new Voxes feature, and the Photos app has gotten some updates. So new version of GNOME. I'm not running it. I did try it for a bit. You are, what are you running? Some sort of quasi-hybrid plasma GNOME setup over there? I do have both on here, yes. Which I one do. are you in right now? Right now it's GNOME. I needed to test something uh, out on this side. But normally yeah. it's been plasma for the past <clears throat> couple weeks. The reason why I even knew that is because your machine's been running crazy hot all day as the Evolution data server has been losing its crap. So, <laughs> Yes, it has. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only a really, at this point in time, that we're recording a couple of choice ways to get... Uh, to get GNOME 328. Anybody in the mumble room by any chance actually on the new version of GNOME, GNOME 328? Like a Tumbleweed user in there by chance? I know. Uh, I didn't think so. I've, I bet you if Gabriel was in there, he'd say yes. Um, but I've been pretty happy with Plasma. Just got a whole batch of updates installed today. So the, the Plasma adventure for me continues on, and I'm pretty happy with it. Levi, too. Levi the dog is pretty happy with it. There's also a feature in uh, GNOME 328 that Levi really likes. It's support for Thunderbolt 3 security models. And this is the accumulation of work that's being done, been done by Red Hat now um, for quite a while. I, I first saw Joey over at OMG Ubuntu report about it in, on December 14th, 2017. And it was a project called Bolt. And what it does is it adds some security protections around Thunderbolt devices. So unlike USB, Thunderbolt 3 allows a wide access to devices on your memory bus, on your PCI bus, just like FireWire did. So it's speculated that you could hook up a malicious Thunderbolt device. It actually, I don't know if it's been proven with Thunderbolt. I know it has with FireWire. But in theory, because it's the same essential technologies the way it's on the PCI bus, you, as you know, probably could hook up a device to Thunderbolt and you could read what's on the PCI bus lane, the PCI lanes, which is um, contents of memory, uh, the things that are being sent to the CPU. It's, it's like you're an I.O. port right on the PCI bus. And so to mitigate against malicious uses of this, there are Thunderbolt 3 security levels, which has been supported at the kernel level for quite a while, but as you're probably guessing right now, hasn't been implemented in user space. This is where Red Hat's project Bolt stepped up. Their developers were working on this project Bolt to clearly handle Thunderbolt security levels at the Linux desktop while keeping it user-friendly. So what they've essentially done here is they've provided a Dbus API to list all of the Thunderbolt devices, enroll them, which means authorize, and then store which ones have been authorized in a local database, and then forget them when they've been removed, so that way there's um, not like an error message all the time, and emit, and emit an alert to the user if a new device has been connected or when that device has been removed as well. And during the enrollment, devices can be said to automatically be authorized as soon as they're connected. And so there needed to be a way to communicate this that was at least somewhat agnostic, so they used Dbus. And now with GNOME 328, they've built in the front end to display all this information to the end user. So in GNOME 328, you'll click down on your status menu, and you'll actually see... Uh, a bolt message, it'll, it'll say something like scanning peripheral, uh, and you'll see peripheral secure. You'll see messages now in the status menu when you hook up Thunderbolt 3 devices, and that's because of this work to create this Dbus API. And this is more and more important now that devices like laptops have these USB-C ports, which are also Thunderbolt devices, so it's a little gray now to the end user what they're actually plugging in. Yeah, this seems like a surprising case where a Linux desktop is actually kind of ahead of the curve you know these devices are only now sort of picking up steam so it's great that 
we'll have this at least in one desktop integrated yeah. right away. Yeah, yep, yep, I agree. And that means it's going to land in the next version of Fedora, and it's already in Tumbleweed, and it means it's going to be in Ubuntu 18.04. Wow. So uh, that takes care of a large, low-hanging amount of GNOME fruit. So pretty happy to see that. And it's an example of kind of a behind-the-scenes project that Red Hat sort of is famously known for working on on the desktop, even though they don't make a ton of money on the desktop. You know what I mean? Like, this Bolt stuff and baking into GNOME is specifically to benefit the desktop. Right. I wonder, I mean, is that just enough? There's enough people at Red Hat, Red Hat who use GNOME on the desktop? And, I mean, if you're using USB or Thunderbolt 3 peripherals on your work laptop, you probably yeah. want them to be secure. Or it's possible that multi-billion dollar corporations play super long games and maybe they are seeding a garden that they hope in another five years or so is going to bear a kind of fruit that they can package up and start selling. I like that Possibly. Idea. Who knows? I mean, you just look at some of the stuff like uh, uh, Bolt, which is a significant development, and Pipewire, which you guys talked about again last right. week, which is a significant amount of development, and again, specifically for the desktop. I, I perhaps all these people at Red Hat, and I maybe maybe this is the case actually. Perhaps they're all doing it on their free time. Perhaps it's not Red Hat financed. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody involved could let me know. But it leaves us on the outside, sort of scratching our heads, going, "Well, why is this company that doesn't generate revenue from the desktop expending quite a bit of development time?" Right. I mean, like obviously we're we're happy about a lot of these things, yeah. but it does make you wonder, like, how keep sustainable it. is it? Will it keep happening? I well, hope so. It, it must be sustainable because they're doing more of it. It feels like it's right. it's not declining; it's increasing. Um, so I I, I would really like. Where's it all? Where's it all going? Do 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 do. Geek Dad signing off right there in the chat room. We're so you know we're back on the IRC for yes, this show. Yes, we are. And uh, I met Geek Dad. He, he, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing his story a little bit, but uh, he gets to come to scale. You know, he, he's a full-time dad, and he's one of those dads that works really hard at it. And he gets to come out to go to scale once a year, and he's been going for quite a while. And he, he was pretty fired up. He tracked me on the way down. We were going to try to meet up, but I was driving like a maniac, so it didn't work out. But when we got to scale, he created the Telegram group, got everybody organized. He went over and made the reservations at the Brazilian meat restaurant Ooh. for our our nice evening meetup. I mean, just a super great guy. And so, uh, yeah, that's Geek Dad going on there. He's got to go pick up the kiddos. So if you want to join us live, we do this show on Tuesdays. Go to jblive.tv on a Tuesday, and you can get the specific time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Whoop, whoop. I got my squeaky. We got to name the chair. Chat room, name, bang suggest titles, because I don't think you've given us a single title yet, and name my chair. What do we call it, the squeaky chair? Yeah, this is where you really make the difference in the show. Because it really does, you know, it makes a guest appearance in all the shows. It's the third host. It is the third host. And it's the best of them all, too. <laughs> I know. It's, and it knows it, So too. eloquent. It knows it, too. It, it, makes, it, makes us, it makes us do things. But we'll leave it at that. Let's take a moment and thank Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Go to linux.ting.com. That's what my chair did, and that's how my chair pays just what it uses for mobile. It's $6 a month for your individual line, and then you your usage on top of that. So for example, if you're on Telegram or another messaging platform, you may not ever use or hardly use any text messages. I think legitimately now, the last text message I used was when Twitter wanted to give me one of their crappy two factors and made me sign in and they sent me a text message first. Uh. One text message last month. 
totally not worth paying for hundreds of text messages. I didn't make a phone call last month. I mean, I did make a couple of FaceTime calls, and I did use Telegram and Slack calling, but that's what I love about Ting, is that's how I prefer to communicate, so I pay for that stuff. Now, why? That's how I can have three phones and pay 40 bucks a month. It's $6 for the line, and then you just pay for what you use, however many minutes, messages, and megabytes. Nationwide coverage, no contracts, Ting's got you covered. They have CDMA and GSM, and if you want to just pick up a Ting SIM, it's $9. If you go to linux.ting.com, they'll take $25 off a device, and if you have a CDMA device or a GSM device that is compatible, just check their BYOD page, they'll give you $25 in service credit. It's, it's so nice. It's so nice. Like, my favorite combo when I'm running Android is a Nexus or Pixel phone on the Ting network. It's this completely clean, nobody in between me and my phone. I get stock updates from Android. Ting has zero incentive to get involved in, like, reflashing my phone with a Ting experience so they have no reason to slow down the updates. Yeah, but how will I get all my custom music from the Ting music store, Chris? Right, and of course the Ting video streaming service oh, yeah. that has exclusive Ting content. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I hate that stuff. It's like you get to live in a parallel world yeah. where it all just makes sense yeah. and you don't hate yourself. Yeah, where they had to do it right. That's what I love about it. Linux.ting.com. Support the show and get $25 in credit. Linux.ting.com. What do you guys say we take a moment, um, and uh, my chair really wants to share a story about the plumbing of our desktops. GStreamer is the framework that really just kept on chugging. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I first started talking about GStreamer back in the Lunduke days of Linux Action Show. I mean, it's been a really, really long wow. time that it came about, and I, I, I've, I have not seen many multimedia frameworks that have stayed relevant, and continue to get additional usage. So we just were talking about Pipewire. Pipewire is plugging into GStreamer. Like, it's something that they're actively developing for our Wayland future, and GStreamer is a big part of that. And so I thought, well, it's obviously still relevant technology. Even us Plasma users use it. What's coming up? So the new version, a new major release came out this week, and it adds some pretty fundamental features that, uh, holy crap, is going to make live streaming JB shows a lot easier. But first of all is WebRTC support. Nice. Uh-huh. Baked into freaking GStreamer will be real-time audio and video streaming in and to and from web browsers. The whole pipeline now, from your browser down to your multimedia framework, is going to be WebRTC aware. I think that's a big deal. That's huge. Video for Linux support, including encoding support, stable element names, and faster device probing, which means things like OBS may be able to bring certain GStreamer devices in now. I think that's going to be really nice. I'm skipping a few other ones. RTSP 2.0 support, QuickTime Muxer support, a new uh, pre-fill recording mode that allows editors to import into Adobe Premiere and Final Cut Pro QuickTime files while they're still being written to. Which, think about that. Think about how fast those editors have to work if they're editing files that are still being written to. And then, uh, for you binary NVIDIA users, a new plugin for hardware-accelerated vi uh, video decoding using the NVIDIA API. And back to live streaming, adaptive-trick play support, which is also a big deal. There's also some GStreamer C-sharp bindings that have made their way in there, and uh, some Rust bindings that uh, are now being baked in. The chair approves. It sure does. This is this is fancy, and I mean, there's like a lot. 
I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily use GStreamer directly unless they are doing some of this plumbing sure. or maybe involved in video production, audio production work. Yeah, you're watching you're watching a video or listening to an MP3. You don't have any thought about the back end of decoding that audio that's happening in GStreamer. But it really is. It's got its fingers everywhere. So these improvements can just be benefited. You know, anything that uses it and that uses the new release. Mm-hmm. Boom. And, and having a common API like this makes developing good multimedia applications on the Linux desktop possible because you have an API to develop against and... They're also releasing binaries for Android, iOS, Mac 10, and Windows in the next few days. Wow. Yeah. That makes it an actual viable like API to write against. iOS binaries. Fancy. <laughs> I wonder like I wonder what that means. I wonder if that means like you bundle it in with your application. I would assume so, yeah. So in the back end you're using GStreamer and the user is none the wiser on an iPhone. That's awesome. We talked about Firefox fifty nine on Linux Action News this week. There's a few things that I really like about it. Their screenshot tool is actually getting pretty useful. Uh, let's let's you like mark it up now and copy it right to the clipboard, which is great for when you just want to drop it in Telegram. And um, they have some new blocking features, but none of that matters. None of that matters because it's not about making it much faster. Windows and Mac users got something that us Linux users didn't get this time around. And what I, we can't have that. What? So we got to write that wrong. We get, we have got to write that wrong, right? There is this cool new feature called off main thread painting. You can just tell by the name you want that. I want it right now. It's not on the main thread, and it involves painting, which probably means drawing my thing. Yeah. Um, And on Linux, unfortunately, it has to be turned on manually. You go to, uh, what is it? Um, It's about colon config, and then search for layers.omtp.enabled, and set that to true, which I did that um, about a day ago and haven't really had any problems. I don't know if I noticed any massive performance changes either. So I've, you're not getting the Linux Unplug certified, uh, this is your uh, your hack to make uh, kind of thing. This is just, you've been warned, you may or may not want to turn it on, but I seem to feel like it is worth it because so far I haven't had any noticeable downsides and there is documented benchmarks that show it is significantly faster when you draw the web page, web page off the main thread. It leaves the UI more responsive and other things like that. So, seems like a no-brainer. My chair approves. I think Levi approves. I think he approves. Yeah. We have a special in-guest dog this week who uh, has made Wes his his friend. Levi just decided this week that uh, this was the episode he wants to sit in Wes's lap, and uh, Wes. Wes thought he had a choice in the matter. I, I, yeah, I assumed I did, but nope. Nope. <laughs> I am just a chair today. Studio Leva is actually the co-host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he missed you. Oh, you know, I we were in California too. and he missed you. So there's a company that I've bumped into a few times and you hear about them every now and then when it comes to, to funding. It's private internet access. And uh, they've been uh, sponsoring several open source projects. And of course, they run Linux uh, for their VPN infrastructure and they're self-labeled longtime supporters of free and open source software. Well, today, they've started the process of open sourcing their software. And over the next six months, they're going to release all of the code for their client-side applications, as well as libraries and extensions, as open source. They go on to say they're extremely grateful to the free and open source software community for creating the foundations of the Internet as we know it. And while we may be late to the party, we are looking forward to furthering our work with a movement that aligns with our own passions on our own personal and professional levels. That resonates with me, actually. Um, I I feel a lot of the same same feels there. They say, we believe that the shift to open source is a right move for a privacy-focused business. Mm -hmm. Completely agree with that. And recognize that code transparency is key. 
We appreciate that our code may not be perfect, coming at it with a little bit of a humble mm-hmm. attitude, and we hope that the wider FOSS community will get involved, provide feedback, feature requests, bug fixes, and generally help provide a greater service to the wider privacy movement. Today, we're opening up the first of many repositories, the Chrome extension that allows our users to access our network of proxies from their web browser. The Chrome extension also boasts additional privacy and security features, such as disabling your microphone and camera, blocking flash and IP discovery through WebRTC, and it also can automatically block ads. Fancy. So they're opening that up. They also have a private internet access chat room on uh, on Freenode, if you want to go to chat.freenode.net and go into private internet access for there. And they say, yeah, our long-term goal is to release all of our code into the open. That's fantastic. I mean, especially as a you know company that sells a service that's really just back-end infrastructure to run VPNs, it makes complete sense to be able to do this. And mm-hmm. so, to, to you know, of course, their code's not perfect. It's always just been, been proprietary before. I'm, this is fantastic. And I'm sure it will get them more open-source advocates oh, yeah. and users. I'm definitely going to take another look. JJ, you've, you've looked at private internet access before? Uh, I've uh, heard about it on various podcasts and stuff. My uh, question would be, how would they, uh, how would this uh, compare... Uh, Spec up versus uh, Proton VPN. Hmm. I don't know. I was thinking about. I wonder how it compares to Air VPN, which has been my VPN provider of choice for quite a while now, for a couple of years. Uh, which I was able to sign up anonymously using Bitcoin, and um, I've never provided them with a username or location. And they have a ton of servers to choose from, and they will generate open VPN profiles and all those things that I really like, but they're not open source. And um, I kind of think that that really is sort of a nice differentiator. And they're smart to identify that. It's very savvy to identify that as a differentiator for their market. Um, and uh, Duck Who in the chat room says he just subscribed yesterday. Either way, it's a good move. It's smart of them. Wes and I in the well, before the it's uh, our pre 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 show, I guess technically because we weren't on the air yet. But Wes and I were just recently kind of discussing WireGuard, going back to Tink VPNs. You know, what do we want to do? We both have like a we both kind of have a need for a VPN service, but we more like want to bridge lands together. So we're both kind of on the fence. Uh, I I've been leaning more towards Tink myself. What about you? What where did you fall down on that? You know, I um I've had actually still have Tink deployed pretty successfully. Uh, bridging some lands and and that but oh you are still using it I, I am it's not as pervasive on my network as it once was so now it's kind of just using that and not as much for the for the mesh functionality which is why I really I was thinking about replacing it I've been thinking about giving WireGuard a more uh, a more real try yeah, I've used it for some point to point shiny. stuff but uh, I thought it'd be fun to try to get a larger yeah. installation hmm yeah I, I, anybody in the uh, mumble room got an active VPN account that they're really happy with a service that they like that works well with Linux. I and you know there's different needs right there's like very much so there's rerouting to get around say region blocks and then there is just trying to bridge land so there's different uses which I kind of have the former that's what mine is right yeah sometimes you need to go on but you have the most experience with OpenVPN which is still working for me yeah I have it set up on a VPS yeah yeah I know a lot of people in the audience do that too hmm Levi prefers that. Levi likes to just set it up on a DigitalOcean droplet in the London data center, and then he VPNs into that. That's that's Levi the dog's uh, trick. Isn't it, Levi? 
think that's a good point. All right, Wes. Well, speaking of VPSs, let's let's talk about this really quick. <clears throat> DigitalOcean. Hmm. Oh. Well, how perfect was that? Hmm. It's almost like didn't actually plan that. <laughs> I wish we were that savvy. I wish we planned the show to that level of a fine detail. First, we'll talk about VPSs, and then we'll get Mitt free to say that he runs his own VPS, <laughs> and then we'll segue. Nope. <clears throat> It's just because these things are very useful. That's why it comes up. Digital Ocean, it's simplicity at scale. And they have a very special offer for limited time, hot off the presses. Right, that's the presses when people make those noises. Don't worry, they're open source presses. That's right, oh, absolutely. do.co slash unplugged. If you have a new account and you go to that URL, if you sign up for a new account and go to that URL, you can get a limited time $100 credit for 60 days. Oh, now, this is a great way to play around with DigitalOcean because everything on DigitalOcean is wicked fast. So you can go build a crazy, super powerful system or build something and just get that $100 like for the full 60 days. I mean, you could really just fine-tune it. They also have new flexible droplets, mix and match, depending on what your application Love needs. It. So, yeah, you could also play around with that. Uh, when, and I, I go to this all the time. Like When I want to experiment with something, what I love about DigitalOcean is I'm able to think about who, who is the audience? Is it me? Is it the audience themselves? Is it somebody in an area where I could spin up the server in their location? Like That's what I love. Then there's this, tr this ability to transfer ownership. So after I've created it, I can give it off to somebody. We use that between Noah and I all the freaking time. It's really useful, especially when we just spin up infrastructure for like a on-location on, on gig. We use it for one weekend and he has the image. He can send it over here. It's it's a super powerful system and they have team accounts. So you have all of this great functionality and they manage to deliver it all in a really easy to use dashboard. It's super straightforward for pros or beginners. A documented API and then SSDs for everything. 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors. Eight data centers all over the world. And for a limited time, a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash unplugged. I just waved the paper around. Uh, basically saying, uh, that's enough said right there. Enough said right there. But I will mention this, because this is boss-level stuff. You may have heard of Cloudflare. You may have heard of Nginx. And there's a possibility, a remote chance you've heard of Ubuntu. What about putting all those things together? They have a guide on how to host a website using Cloudflare and Nginx on Ubuntu 16.04. So Cloudflare is a service that sits between the visitor and the website. And it's a CDN as well as DDoS mitigation it's also a great way to do SSL acceleration if you have a whole bunch of domains and you want to put an SSL cert in front of all of it. It's a really handy service. Nginx is a very popular web server for a lot of good reasons. You combine all that stuff together, and they've got an awesome guide on how to do it. They've got really good stuff over there. do.co slash unplug. They also do a great job of supporting open source projects. So. Yeah, they do. Boom. In fact, if I could give them any recommendations, it would be maybe promote that a little more. I know they do it just because they want to give back, but... There is some entire projects where their entire infrastructure runs on DO and they don't pay a cent and it's pretty cool. So uh, are you familiar with the application for macOS called Little Snitch? Oh, yeah. I think I've seen some people using yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a handy little application that runs in the background and it creates an outbound firewall. And it then gives the user some kind of notification, either through the native notification system or a, or a custom notification dialogue, that XYZ application, uh, Chrome, is trying to connect outbound on this port to this address. Do you want to allow it? And one of the things that's interesting is, say you have software that checks uh, to, into some sort of remote server every time you launch it. 
you will discover it very quickly with yeah. applications like Little Snitch. And you'll discover, oh, every time I run Lightworks, it's checking in with edit share servers. Um, for better or for worse, but it's nice to know it's happening. And you can also make the decision to allow it or block it with Little Snitch. Um, and I've probably gotten over the years a handful of questions. Hey, is there anything like that for GNU slash Linux? Anybody got something like that? Because I, I would love to have something like that for GNU slash Linux. And I always say, get it out of here. Get it out of here. Right. You'll have to roll it yourself, do some IP tables commands and a yeah. whole bunch of scripting. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? We have an app pick for you this week. People have been saying, Chris, more app picks. Miss the app picks from Linux Action Show. Well, guess what? We've been slipping them in here. We just haven't been calling them app picks. But this week, we got two of them for you. And the first one is called Open Snitch. Open Snitch is a GNU slash Linux port of the Little Snitch application firewall. And just like its Mac cousin, it gives you a graphical notification saying, hey, uh, Telnet is trying to connect out on ports blah, blah, blah to uh, destination IP blah, blah, blah. Would you like to block this temporarily? Would you like to block this forever? Would you like to allow it? And the thing that's wonderful about this is you can just run it for short periods of time and get an idea of what your system is doing. And it's incredibly insightful. It, in my personal opinion, gets really obnoxious <laughs> after a while because everything you know is going outbound these days. Uh, when Little Snitch was first conceived, not nearly as many things connected out to the internet, but it's still very useful. It's called OpenSnitch, OpenSnitch.io. And you're going to have to build it if you're on one of the more common distros, except for Arch. Arch, there is an AUR. Entry. Surprise, surprise. But we're not talking anything major. They have um, <clears throat> the commands you can run to sudo apt install or dnf install the dependencies. And then it's really just a Python setup install. It's really not a big deal. So it's not like it's not like you're going to be spending all day getting the software built. And it is in the AUR if you want to just install opensnitch-git. Anyways, opensnitchd gets installed, and then there's a cute front end that talks to opensnitchd. And uh, then there's like a rule process, and it's kind of a nice system. It's an application-level firewall, meaning it works while it's running, and it will detect and alert the user for everything, every single outgoing connection that gets created, which is very nice. It can be extremely effective to detect and block unwanted connections, um, which is also really helpful when you're just in certain situations and scenarios, maybe you're on a certain unknown network. Right, not trusted, or you're just trying to evaluate some new software. And we're, you know, it's using underlying good standard uh, Linux firewall stuff like like IP tables extensions or NFs or whatever whatever you have on your system it's it's not like it's some crazy homebrew Custom, firewall right yeah. yeah exactly it's just using the stuff in the Linux kernel and uh, once a connection is detected the software relies on F trace kernel extensions to track which PID is causing the connection so it'll tell you it can actually tell you which particular process on your Linux box is trying to make that outbound connection nice which it's really great when something comes like, I didn't even know that was running in the background. So that's uh, Open Snitch, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And then, Wes, you found this one. And I first thought, why would you want this? But then I remembered that Spotify actually has this feature where any, other, any Spotify client can control any other Spotify yeah. client on your account. And that's when this next app pick really clicked for me. It's Spotify D, an open source Spotify client that runs as a Unix daemon. So just like regular Spotify, it's headless, it's headless freaking Spotify. It streams music just like the official client, but it's lightweight, doesn't have that whole web UI wrapper around it. Um, it supports the Spotify Connect protocol, which makes it just show up as any other Spotify device that you can control. 
The only downside is it does require a Spotify premium account. Yeah. Which I happen to have because we use it in the family quite a bit. Um, I'm not a proud Spotify user. I actually hem and hawed a little bit about yeah, putting this sure. here because I know like a lot of people like Spotify. You know what I like about Spotify though? I always tell myself they're streaming the music using Ogvorbis. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know? And they and at least they're at least you can play it on Linux. And we're in kind of an awkward situation, right? I mean, we we talk about Slack, we talk about other things as much as we love and want to support open source software. You also, you know, we're all we all getting our lives done and sometimes yeah. that means running whatever you happen to already have or maybe you're sharing an account with your spouse or whatever else. I mean, the thing is is not only do we have shared playlists, which was which is great, but uh I just don't care enough about music like when when i when i first got a computer and cds were still a thing like i curated a collection and i was really ocd about all of my tag information and i would rip complete albums and make sure all of the stuff and i'd run it through like music brains picard and all that kind of stuff to try to make meticulous yeah and then you know Couple of machine migrations, everything gets ruined. Or I, I, I try out, I, I install the new version of Rhythmbox, and it blanked out all of my ID3 tags one time. And I'm like, well, I'm never, <sighs> I'm never gonna do that again. And I just sort of had to just divorce myself from caring about my music collection. And now I just embrace the streaming service. And honest, honestly, if Spotify went out of business tomorrow, I would give zero shits. I would just sign up You'd for something to else. A different one. Yeah. yeah right. Um. So it's with that kind of pragmatist mindset that I use Spotify. And so when you come at me with an open source Spotify headless client that I could potentially run here in the studio, I'm all about it. I think this is great. Yeah, especially if you already have like a media center machine that's hooked up to a sound system or otherwise, this would be perfect. Yeah, that's great. It does require the also packages get installed, which then talks to Pulse, but that's the typical uh, shit show of Linux audio. Not too surprising there. It also supports Dbus, which means it can be controlled by some generic media playback controllers like uh, Player CTL or your desktop environments that have like the playback controls in the volume slider, like modern desktops. Still can control this sucker too. So you don't really need the Spotify client. Wow. See, this is awesome. So this might be just the way I get Spotify from now on, and uh, you may want to as well. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, that's true. Veritunda says in the chat room, he says, but Chris, that's what media servers are for, like MB. So I got, I got, a, I got an excuse for that too. I, I, uh, I, got, uh, I got all in on um, Sub-Zero, I think it was, or Subsonic. Subsonic, Subsonic yeah. And uh, there was a whole bunch of shenanigans about about them going commercial and the project had a bunch of bad blood and I paid for it like on two separate occasions and got screwed. And so, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a good enough reason, but I just gave up. I still manage like my, uh, my video collection. Like I used to manage my TV or my, um, my, uh, my music collection. I still manage my TV and my movies like that. But mm-hmm. I gave up on the music a long time ago. It's just a, it's just a shame. It's I especially don't. hard with discovery and other things too, and the, yeah, the streaming that are services online. just make it so simple. Yeah, yeah, that's just you, you sit down on the, especially with Android TV and stuff like that. I know anybody in the mumble room, the exact opposite, where like you're super meticulous about your music library, you only listen to local audio. You know, Angela's like that. Angela only listens to Is local. Is that right? No streaming. She's just local audio. She still syncs it via the wire to her phone. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. What's that, Minimax? I started, I started to back up my whole CD collection, which is about 400 or 500 CDs. Hmm. I have a flag copy and then normally have uh, 192 OGG um, copies for my phone and for my router. 
So when hmm. I'm at home, I stream via router. So that works great. What pl what client are you using on Android to play Augs? On Android, I don't have an Android phone. I use the Yola Selfish phone, oh. so there's no problem. Okay, okay, all right. Nice, <laughs> nice answer, dude. Yeah, <laughs> shut Chris up. I, and right I there. knew that too. Now that I think about it, I, I knew never it. Had that question. I, is is that true? Does Android don't? Uh, I don't. Have no, Android no. I mean, there's like VLC it and whatnot. Default now. Oh no! The the open source music media player I don't think is even the default anymore. Um, but there are I mean I have a dozen different apps that will play Augs, but I don't like any of them enough to like listen to all my music that way. Right? Uh, so Isn't that's... it interesting that it's hard to find a really good music player? I yeah. mean there are thousands for Linux boxes, but a really good one. I found Lollipop for GDK GNOME. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. CMOS on the terminal is great. Yeah. But otherwise, it's really hard to find really cool, good music players. I, just I mean, most of us. I mean, most of us are satisfied with the results of VLC, I guess. Well, but what if you have a large collection? See, that's one of the other reasons I use end up using Spotify is because it's also a jukebox, like of the old style jukebox. Um, you know, you guys all know Armorock. Just like after years, just after years, just released a new version recently. Like a I didn't I missed that. Yeah, I don't know if it's a beta or what, but yeah. So it's still a thing, but. I, I think with SSDs too, and a lot of my main machines are laptops these days. I just don't have a lot of room for gigabytes and gigabytes of music. If I had a, a, a unlimited budget, unlimited time, I, I would prefer to have everything in Flax, and I would prefer to have it all local. But right, rolled rolled up some streaming of your own if you needed it. I know it would make Noah happy. Like MB, yeah, totally. <laughs> it drives me crazy how much I use that stuff. Uh, you know. <laughs> Oh, you broke up a little bit there, Eric. Send again. Oh. Send again. You're you're coming in now. Could tell you what I ended up doing. Oh yeah, what did you do? Because you're kind of in a limited connectivity situation. Yeah, exactly. Right now I'm on LTE, unfortunately. So um, we can tell you're on LTE. You're breaking up again. I feel your pain. Just give it a second. Give it a second. Let it breathe. You know, one of the problems with the LTE is it kind of comes and goes. Yeah. And then plus you're also yeah. in a double NAT situation when you're behind LTE typically. So say it again. Send it again, Eric. Okay. So, uh, oh, it's no good. It's no good. You, we'll try again in the post show. You'll have to tell us. You'll have to wait with bated breath what Eric's solution is for offline media. Yeah, because I don't he think he has it's... to do it on offline uh, solution as well. Yeah, maybe you could record that offline and send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Eric. I'm sure it'll pick back up before the post show. Yeah, you're gonna probably pick up by the post show. Yeah. Oh, it, it always is whenever you're trying to do anything production related. That's how it works. Right when you need it, you Trust don't me. have it. I know that one. Mm hmm. Yeah, I know that one. Anyway, Spotify D will have a link up on the show notes. You know, if you want to give us an app or a story or a project that you think we should know about, hit us up on the subreddit. That's still going, linuxunplugged.reddit.com, linuxunplugged.reddit.com. And I don't think it's I don't think it's this week. Let me think. Uh, in the next, I'm not, I'm not sure what the scheduling is, but it's very soon there's going to be back-end changes for the RSS feeds and stuff like that coming to this show because we're doing a whole project. We've got a whole project coming up, and this show is going to be rolled up into all of that. I don't think you'll have to do anything. I guess the one thing I would say is if by accident when we like forward the RSS feed, if we trigger an extra download or something like that, I apologize. We're sorry. Here's what I do expect to have happen. This is what I'm giving you the heads up. 
there will be a cleaning of the feeds simply because we're switching feed services. That's one of the things we're doing is we're migrating off of FeedBurner, which is sort of like this zombie Google service. <laughs> and uh, we're moving to a small shop that just is dedicated to hosting podcast RSS feeds called FeedPress. And uh, we're going to have a cool new, uh, cool new URLs too. So check this out. If you go to, they're not all set up, but this one is feed.jupiter.zone slash all shows. That is the all shows RSS feed Ooh. now. So we're going to have a new domain for all of our feeds, feed.jupiter.zone and then slash feed name. So it'll be like all shows, LUP, you know. That's awesome. Super, super easy, easy stuff. to get yeah. to, yeah. Um, and the issue with that is that migration process is not super clean. I can forward, I can I can do like a redirect. I can redirect people to the new feed, but I can't import the old items. Incompatible. So if you are an archivist, you got a few days maybe <laughs> to try to pull everything down in the feed. That's your warning because what's it'll be a reset clean feed, then they'll be updated from there, but it, there'll be a, there's going to be a clean break when we move to the new feed service. You won't have to resub because I'll do a redirect at the URL level, but the actual items in the RSS feed will be reset. Um, and uh, and that also will prevent triggering redownloads too. So it's it's also a good thing. So yeah, there's your that's your but public. be prepared for changes. Yeah, be prepared. Uh, also kind of just keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. Just a general Linux Unplugged service announcement for your bettered podcast experience. Now, uh, I did just get back from scale, and like I said in the uh, intro, I got a lot of clips, over 170, and talked to a lot of people. But I knew when I came back from scale this year that I really wanted to just kind of do the best job possible, just giving you what you need to know about the event and not overdoing it with 15 interviews and multiple episodes and all of that, like not bogging down the show with it's it. It's harder to do than it sounds like, it, though, because there's so much going on at scale. And so not so I got there I got there on Thursday. I got there Wednesday, but the scale starts Thursday and it goes till Sunday. Ooh. And there's stuff going on all day, every day. And you're learning and meeting people every single day. Plus, it's a multi-thousand dollar investment for us cost-wise as a company to go down there. And Noah's down there, and he's taking time off of Alta Speed, so it's a personal investment for him too. And it's a, so you, you, have this, you have this drive to come back and just make it all scale all the time because, you know, we've spent a lot of energy and time in this. Uh, but this trip was really the trip where I, um, I internalized why I go to these things. And it wasn't about, like, the pressure of making a show out of it. It was about going there, talking to people, learning, getting insights from the audience, uh, figuring out uh, new things to look into, like meeting new companies. That's why I went, not to come back with all of these interviews about the latest, craziest things that I saw on the expo floor. But I did pick one. I did pick one interview that I wanted to play with you, uh, play for you, with for you guys, because um, it's it's... It's from someone who uh, has been doing this for quite a while. He is one of the co-founders. He's the Scale Conference Chair. Elon is a longtime member of this community, and he works at Datadog. He is, a, as he puts it, a recovering sysadmin, huh. and uh, he had some interesting things to say. So I, I did pull that interview. I sat down with him at the expo floor while he was in the thick of things and just did a brain dump with him. 
And I wanted to play a little bit of that, a little bit of the Expo floor for you, just to sort of cap off my trip to scale. So before we get there, I want to thank Linux Academy for sponsoring the show and making what we do possible, and for creating a platform to help Linux users learn more about Linux. It's, it's a way to get access to advanced training tools that increase your skills and encourage critical thinking around everything related to Linux. A full-featured training library with everything you need to know with full-time human beings that are available to help. And one of my favorite features is real, hands-on labs and exercises. They deploy real environments, and then you take scenario-based labs on them, hands-on, from anywheres, at any times. Hands-on scenario-based labs give you experience on real environments that Linux Academy has curated for you. And that is huge for me because I genuinely learn by doing. Yeah, sometimes there's no you can't supplant that. You can you can answer all the multiple choice questions yeah, you man. want, but if you haven't been on that server. And I can't I can't test. Like I can't test unless I've done it and I've seen it. I cannot test. There's no exam I'm passing. And I say that having learned that the really hard and expensive <laughs> way a couple of times. And that was just something I learned about myself. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about Linux Academy is it's built around that. But even more importantly, it's built for your busy, busy life. You can pick a course and set a time frame, and it'll fit your schedule and your learning goals. They have practice exams and quizzes to help you prep for when you're going to go take that test. And they have a community that's full of Jupiter Broadcasting members that are forking, customizing, and randomizing study flashcards to help you up your game. And then they have study tools that you can download offline and listen to. So if you're like Eric and I and you're in a bandwidth limited environment, they can accommodate that too. And if you're on the go, maybe you're in the tube and you got some downtime while you're commuting, they got iOS and Android apps as well. It's pretty great. In fact, you might say it's the best. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, support the show, and sign up for a free seven-day trial. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So yeah, let's uh, let's go to scale. You want to go back to California about a week ago? Um, let's teleport. Get right yeah, there. Much faster than going by RV, right? Can much, we, much can faster. we still take Levi? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely taking Levi. You have to take Levi. He's the tour guide. Um, there was there was something that Scale has done, and they really refined it this year. It's not their first crack at it, but if you're going to Scale, I think it's one of the things you might really like, is they have these track sessions. So Ubicon, for example, was a track. It's all Ubuntu all the time. And then there was several other tracks. Like one of the more popular ones was the Postgres track for people that just wanted to implement and deploy Postgres in their day-to-day -day, day -day, like work lives. Uh, and so the goal here with partitioning is sort of Without having to do a lot of changes, you can implement this within Postgres on the same system and then get a lot of the benefits. One of the tracks that was going on all day yesterday and appears to be going on all day today is people that are trying to get work done with PostSQL, Postgres. And so this one is like a performance track. And this room, room 106, will be about Postgres all day long. And the other one that really blew my mind, Noah and I specifically want to go out and see like, how deep can we go into the underworkings of Linux? And so we set out to find the USB subsystems track. Uh, the question is, is there a one-to-one That's like a hardcore session in there. They're like, people are following along, along on their laptops with the slides. It's like down to details. Yeah, they, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I started to get a little overwhelmed within a couple of minutes. But it's fascinating, too, like the kind of stuff they have to worry about. It's a room full of people trying to figure out how to make accessories on Linux. And I'm glad there's people doing that so that people like you and me don't have to. No, yeah, kidding. and you heard in the background, there's there's babies there, there's families there, oh, no. there's even dogs there. 
They have. They said, you know, we could probably get Levi a pass. That's amazing. <laughs> it really was pretty great. Uh, but Levi had other things to do that day. Um, and you get this sense that you could go there and really sort of walk away with um, knowledge to ship something. Like that USB subsystem one really went deep into like, here's how you troubleshoot when you're trying to build a product and you need it to identify itself to the Linux subsystem. Like, here's some of the things you can look into if this isn't working for you. Like, really like stuff you walk away with. Actually and, practical tips that you're going to need. Quote, unquote, actionable items, if you will. But of course, one of my favorite things of any conference we ever go to, because the energy is always high and people always have their best foot forward, is the Expo Hall. And Noah and I are walking around with our media badges, so we got to go in a little early. You can hear them uh, vacuuming the carpet now. They're still getting everything ready. We were able to sneak in as media a little early before the crowd's in here. And it's still this noisy in here, yeah. Yeah, there's the Ubuntu booth next to Chef. Howdy, howdy. Now this is more my speed. We got a video land booth, Datadog. I've been wanting to talk to Datadog. This is nice. Uh, the Expo Hall at scale is always really fantastic, and it looks like they've spread it back out again a little bit from what it was last year. There's Fedora. Hey, Fedora. Fedora's looking good. Fedora has a booth. Adobe has a booth. Ubuntu has a wow. booth. Yeah, really nice. Microsoft had a hell of a booth with Surface tablets there and lights everywhere and nice chairs. Um, Git had a booth. Like, lots of, lots of folks have booths. And then lots of companies that I didn't even recognize had booths. It's interesting how many of these company names I don't even recognize. I, I think I think a handful of these companies did not exist two years ago at scale. Oh yeah. I mean, do you recognize? Do you recognize some of these like Twitslock, Skillydab, Tindy? I recognize Gumgum, Gobot, Uncoded. I don't recognize these companies. I cover this stuff every day, and I don't recognize these companies. It's like they've just. They've come up out of nowhere based on some of the technology that's in Linux now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, startup companies and a lot of, you know, venture capitalist money that's coming around, people trying to get off the ground. Well, you just put it in a container yeah. and you can get funded. You know, we're joking about it, but that's kind of the reality is, is that some of the recent advancements that we've covered just as just topics of conversation in this show are now fundamental building blocks for entire businesses that are like getting VC funding yeah. and have a business model and they're using namespaces in the Linux kernel, right? Um, and it's not to say they're not legitimate because they are solving in some cases real business needs. It's just crazy walking around and seeing all these companies. I don't even recognize the name because traditionally going to these conferences for many years now, I've been going to these things even before JB when I was in high school, I started going, um, and that was an unfortunate long time ago. That was, and that back that was in the day, there ago. was you know it was a much more <laughs> limited spread. You had some big names. You had the people you expected to yeah. see. But well, it that's wasn't... just it. You know, uh, so that was eighteen, nineteen years ago, and um, you saw you saw, and through that time, really until just the last few years, it was company names you already knew. Every single company name you already knew. And now it's a whole bunch of new companies that are uh, even possible. They're like micro companies because of the technology that they're based on. So we were walking around the floor and we bumped into Elon, who is one of the co-chairs of Scale. Elon Rabinovich, uh, so I'm the conference chair for Scale and one of the co-founders. And I had a lot of things to talk to him about. We had a long-ranging conversation from what he think, where he thinks Linux is going in 2018. And I got the sense, you know, he said something to me that struck me, and that's what led to my next question. And he said... You know, the core team of us here at Scale, we take vacation at work so that way we can go to work. 
and work harder than we even work. Right. And and I'm watching him run around, and I'm looking at his schedule, and in one hour from our conversation, the expo hall opens up. One hour immediately after that, they need to be out there taking the wrap off of the food that's in the middle of the expo hall. One hour after that, he needs to make sure that the event in the in the D room is so, you know, like he just has like all of this stuff he's doing. Plus, he was emailing back and forth with all of these companies, including Jupiter Broadcasting, months before the event even kicks off, which he's doing on his own personal time. And he doesn't take a profit from any of this. He doesn't make a buck off this thing. I mean, he gets community stature and he gets connections of and networking. But, but at the end of the day, he's doing it because he wants to and he loves it. Like, that's well, very I, impressive. I'm like, is it that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, so what is it? What drives you? Is this your contribution to open source instead of code? So, yeah, a lot of us um, are where we are in our careers because of our particip- because of where open source, because of how we were involved in open source in the early days. You know, my first... First time I needed Linux, need to share a home internet connection, and I was like, oh, somebody told me about this IP tables thing, and I, IP chains, sorry, at the time, and went to went to a local a local lug and got help from some some made a bunch of friends, and they helped me at an install fest to like getting started in open source in Linux, right? Uh, and that was amazing. And then over the years, I thought, well, how do I, you know, how do I give back? That that like really kicked off my career and the career of a lot of folks here. Uh, and so being involved in community activities like this is, is one way of giving back. So whether it's the kids track that we run on, uh, on, on Saturdays where we have folks from 6 all the way up to 18 giving talks about how they use Linux and open source and sort of get the next generation excited about STEM. Uh, or it's the install, like we have a beginner Linux, new, uh, new user Linux training that's a full day session where you come in at the start of the day with a, you know, basically it's a, organized, a more, um, more organized install fest. Uh, and we take you through, get your get your systems installed, train you all the way up, or even just the regular talks that we have. Like all of these are ways that people can get trained up on Linux and open source and, and further their own career. Uh, we have a very popular jobs board and jobs bop, and uh, you look around the room, and most of the companies are recruiting in some way or another. So, yeah, it's I think this is definitely a way to give back. Um, I would say I would also say that participation in open source has done, whether it's with scale or with other things, has been very, very kind to me. Maybe I don't, you know, I don't. I don't take a salary from anything we do around Scale or Texas Linux Fest or the other groups I'm involved with, but I would say I don't think I would have I've had any of my last two jobs if it wasn't for, you know, having done, having built the skills and the uh, connections that I get to make as part of running something like this. So, and they really do hustle. Uh, that he mentioned in there really briefly the birds of a feather session. These boffs um, are also something that has become a more and more common element of these events, I really started seeing them become a common element in the BSD meetups. The BSD community started doing these, and I saw it kind of quickly spread from there to the Linux community. And one of the places I saw it actually come from BSD to the Linux community was at Linux Fest Northwest, surprisingly enough. And now almost all of these events are doing these boff sessions. And it's the idea is, I'll give you an example. So you might know Randall Schwartz from um, Floss Weekly on the Twit Network. He's there, and uh, he and I were uh, chatting, and uh, we were talking about what else but Pearl and Dart. And so we started going back and forth about Pearl and Dart, and he started saying, yeah, you know what I'm doing is I'm doing a Birds of Feather session on Dart, so if you want to learn more, just come here, and we're just other people that are working on Dart. We're just getting together, and we're just hanging out and talking about Dart, and they sit around for two hours, and they build stuff, and they fix nice. stuff, and they debate stuff, and these are becoming more and more common. And uh, they're kind of a cool unplanned aspect that's sort of organically grown up in these conferences that don't require like somebody to put together a whole stack of presentations and 
propose a letter where they recommend what they want to talk, where they suggest what they want to talk about and get accepted. It's just simple. Low maintenance, easy going. And you probably find some people who are actually, you know, just as passionate. There's so much to like at oh, these yeah. conferences. You can find zero in on some people who mm-hmm. are excited about what you are. Yeah, so it was nice, nice to go. I'm glad we went. It also makes me look forward to Linux Fest Northwest. We'll be there. We'll try to. We're thinking about maybe trying to do a live show from there. We're kind of getting all of that, uh, all that kind of worked out still. But uh, yeah, I really, I really had a great time, and um, it did seem like they were definitely trying to make a contribution back to open source doing that. So many things to, so many events to go to every year, and I understand not everybody can go, and not everybody has an excuse to go like I do. Uh, but if you can make it, it will sort of change. Uh, it'll change you a little bit. It really reifies what the what the community is. You know, we spend so much time on on all these open source apps or on IRC, and all of that's awesome. But seeing people face to face and getting the sense of just how excited they are and how nice everyone is, it, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and face the disembodied voice. There we yeah, go. it is. You know, it is like uh, like it's it's like you get to check in with people. Like you know, William's often in the uh, mumble room, and William was there, so we got to hang out with William. He got to hang out with Levi. William got to hang out with Levi that's as well. Awesome. Yeah, he was Levi approved, as a matter of fact. Huh. Uh, so that's always pretty good, you know. Put names to faces, like Geek Dad in the chat room, um, and yeah, and it just is a it's a it's a rare chance to get to talk to a bunch of like minded folks about stuff that everybody's really excited about, and you get to do it without the internet drama or the internet angst that all conversations seem to have now online. All of that's gone when you talk when you meet somebody in person. You know, like my my favorite story I've shared it before is. Uh, Ryan, who tech helper, he's known as tech helper, and uh, he was um, not my biggest fan initially, and we met up in person, and we we became friends, and two years ago, he let me borrow his Cadillac when we went to scale, so that way I had transportation, because I brought Lady Jupes, and I had to park it away from the conference, and this year, just without even asking him, because I was just crazy busy, I was doing all this stuff, Without even saying a word, the guy sends me a telegram out of the blue and says, hey, would you like to borrow my car again? That's wild. And it's like, you know, wow. you go from somebody who's like, yeah, kind of a troll to now like, hey, would you like to borrow my car? Because we meet in person. And I guess I just, I can't put enough emphasis on this on this one really kind of cliche point, And that is meeting people in person is completely, totally different than meeting them online. Online, we have these we have these two-dimensional personas that we put out there, and then we, we interact with these two-dimensional personas. When I first started getting on the internet, um, and you had to dial up and connect to it, you, you, you connected with a, a handle, a name, a screen name, or a nickname. And so nothing had my name attached to it, and nothing had your name attached to it. And so things just weren't quite as serious, because... It wasn't coming from a real person with their name and identity attached to it. It was from some anonymous douchebag on the internet, and so it didn't quite matter as much. But now, with social networking and all the other, all these other platforms, we're all using our real names. We all have our real faces on there. And so now it's Chris Fisher and Donald Trump. It's like these real people that are making these statements on these. And so we take these statements so much more seriously. But there's still these two-dimensional, low-context low information statements that we interpret so much and trigger our own emotional baggage and it creates this total hostile dialogue online and then you add in the total dumpster fuel fire that is clickbait journalism and uh, ad-based clicks that just really make for a horrible, horrible hostile discussion online and you just bypass all of that when you meet up with people in person. You, You just, all that baggage is gone. 
And it's just wait. Are you saying you don't take seriously Captain Snorlax? <laughs> no, that's one person you always take seriously. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Says the guy with the handle called Rotten. <laughs> yeah. Or my nickname? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, although one person I always take quite seriously is Popey. Hello, Popey. Hello. I, it's good to see How you. Are you. Good, good. We missed you. We missed you. It's I, I, I missed you at scale, but. Um, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Sorry, I, I couldn't make it. I may, be, I may be hanging out with your better half soon, though, so that'll be good. That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm tracking his flight. He's nearly landed. He's not. Gonna, he's going to be there soon. So that's not confidential. We can we can say that uh, he's... Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's yeah Wimpy's like, landing in Seattle yeah. probably in the next few minutes, actually. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. We're not, I don't think he's going to be too busy to come on the show, but I'm going to try to run down there and buy him a beer at least, because or, or 10. Because, you know, how often does Popey or Wimpy actually make it to our area? Well, it turns out more often than you'd expect <laughs> recently. Yeah, twice, twice in the last month, <laughs> weirdly. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> but, but, and that's probably just, you know, a limited time thing. So I got to take advantage of it while we can. Um, yeah. Well, Popey, you have anything to share with the class before we get out of here today? I was just about to wrap this thing up. Uh, Michael Sunnell Rotten is a lovely person. That's all I've got to share. Okay, wow. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. agree. Oh, hey, actually, uh, Ubuntu Podcast is back. Could share that. Do a little plug skis. Ubuntu Podcast returned and just had Will Cook on the show. That's, yes, we did. That's something. We, uh, we discussed um, the uh, things that are happening for 1804, uh, some of the decisions that were made and some of the controversial things that people have been talking about on the internet. Uh, we discussed that in episode two. And turns out episode three and four, we just had Michael Turnell on. Oh, I see. It's a circle of plugs there. (laughs) Circle of podcasts. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, good. That's awesome. I look forward to hearing that. And the nice thing is, is, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance then when when, uh, producer Michael goes on, he's going to have good audio. So that's nice too. I always appreciate that. I typically, I typically do. Yes. Yeah, you do. (laughs) You do. Um, I don't have a soundboard with a ding in it, but I would. If I did, I would. There we go. You just got to get a bell. There it is. I'll just get you a bell. I should just get nothing beats the hard copy. Yeah. <laughs> I do like having the physical bell right here, and so do the kids. It's a hit with the kids when they come into the studio. They always got to play with Dad's bell. Wait a minute. All right, well, let's uh, mm-hmm. let's get out of here while we still can, because I just think that I just went in a bad direction. You guys, thank you very much for being here. We'd love to have you join us in the Mumble Room. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for when we do this here show live, because uh, it's true. It's a live production. It's one of the few. So why not get in while yeah, it's still savor live? savor it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can get more Mumble information if you go on irc.geekshed.net. Do bang Mumble, and it'll give you the server information so you can hang out in our virtual lug. You can submit content ideas to linuxunplug.reddit.com. And, of course, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com contact. And keep an eye out for those feed changes. Maybe new things coming. A lot's happening. And just a few more episodes of Tech Talk Today for Season 1, Tech Talk Today, And go get more Wes and Chris, techsnap.systems. See you next week. Bye.
Wimpy is currently traveling 536 miles per hour with a Wi-Fi connection. Isn't that amazing? He's had a he's had a decent-ish connection this whole flight because I've seen him in Telegram the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> so I know he's got at least some Wi-Fi. Uh, I like the time to live. Yeah, it really Whoa. is. This is pretty great. Look at this. And you I can. How expensive? Yeah, and I wonder how expensive that Wi-Fi is too. Look at this. You can retrace the whole flight. Oh, that is neat. This is great. That is really cool. There's a little bit where they estimated where the flight was, where apparently Wimpy went offline for a bit. And then he reconnects as he comes in over Canada. <laughs> hey, how's my audio now? Much better. So what were you trying to tell us earlier? Well, I was trying to tell you um, what I ended up doing because I have like bookshelves full of CDs. When I downsized to the trailer, I had to put all of that in storage. So I put it all in a, in a tub, basically a, a <laughs> tote. But before I did... I ripped everything onto a one terabyte hard drive, which is being mm. I can straight from Plex. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about so Plex. That's, yeah, that's the direction I went, but so, I hardly ever use it because I use Spotify all the time. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, oh. yeah. What are you gonna that say, old story. Oh no, you know, if there's a reason to repair all of your CDs and stuff, is legitimately to try to get software to re do gender recognition and actually try to. Yeah, that would be nice. Choices for you. There's yeah. actually a piece of open source software, which I've been using, suffice the music for you, and uh, trying to make it so that it can become a recommendation system for new music. So that would be I'll so cool. Bot go to yeah, you know, I won't, I won't lie. Uh, you've honed in on one of the things that I do kind of use these services for is to find me new music because, because I don't really put a very high priority on music. I also am not like actively discovering new music like I used to. And so mm -hmm. the fact that these things have some kind of algorithm to try to surface music is is nice. JBTitles.com. Right. Uh, Last FM does that pretty well. Yeah, so yeah. You, and so does Pandora. I mean, they all kind of. If you start to 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 put your music list on on Last FM, you yeah. normally get good recommendations. You just have to scrubble your music. I yeah. wish it was back in a few. Okay. Import like a list or something. That would be great because I don't I don't like listening to the streaming services. I'd rather have it on. I'd rather have local media. And then straight here, here, give me some suggestions off of this list of yeah, artists. boy, wouldn't awesome. wouldn't it be great to have so much? Thing. Yeah, if if you are if you really enjoy listening to music and really hate when you get interrupted, at least keep you know some of them locally because there's always going to be that one. Oh, absolutely. Where you're going to be absolutely bored of not having local stuff. Yeah. If you'd like to have 30 minutes of, not, of no ads, <laughs> just yeah. watch this video. Seriously. Yeah. Watch, like, it's a 30-second ad to get you to watch another ad. Like, ugh. The other thing about the streaming services that's sort of like a, a, a sucky secondary first world problem is it's kind of like a shit show, like, how they all integrate with different devices and, like, TV set-top boxes, lady tubes, uh, all these different things, like some of them work with Spotify if you use this particular incantation. Some of them work with Google Music. Some of them work with Pandora. Some of them work with Amazon streaming music if you use a different incantation. Like, there's, it's really kind of all over the place. It really, right now. yeah, right. By the way, Chris. Yeah. I'm not sure if you want this. I can link you to the to the project I was talking about, the general recognition project. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If that's a thing, I'd like oh. to see it. Put it in the if you don't mind, yeah. toss it in the IRC so that other other guys can see it sure. too. Sure. By the way, related topic in regards to Linux, well, Linux on mobile being Android at the moment, what do you think Android P is going to be? 
Well, it sounds like it's so far a UI overhaul. Uh, a lot of small UI Back overhaul elements. Did you guys notice oh. that the, all the UI elements are basically Fuchsia OS? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that I had that same. I had that same thought. Um, oh, name stratum. What what's what's something that P? I bet it's gonna be not a sweetie. I think it's gonna be like a healthy thing. I think they're oh. gonna be the laziest thing ever. Pancreas. Because uh, no, all of their all of their stuff has been desserts or pastries. It's just gonna be pastry. Oh, they just no. call it Android pastry. That hmm. won't. That, no, no, that's too generic. That well, wouldn't be Google. I, I, I think they're gonna drop the sweets parfait. Parfait is also like really parfait. good. That's no, that's that's good. Too. Or peppermint. I'm gonna say pudding because. <laughs> oh, pudding's good. I hope it's Android pudding. pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Android 